I hope you're having a nice, oh, I was gonna say morning, but it's not morning for either of us, so I'm just, <laughs> I just slept really late today. Uh, I'm Gilda. And I'm Steph, and this is Saturday Night High, the podcast where we get high and talk about, wait for it, Saturday Night Live. <laughs> um, yeah, today we are talking about season two, episode 10, which aired on December 11th, 1976. Uh, it was hosted by Candace Bergen, and the musical guest was Frank Zappa. Yeah, according to Wikipedia, this was originally supposed to be hosted by Truman Capote, but he got sick sad yeah so the cold open it starts off and it's patty hurst home for christmas and she's playing scrabble with her family and all the the words that she played were just like you know had to do with crime and her sister was lorraine newman and she starts complaining saying she's had it really hard and when the family starts to get into a bit this uh you know, tension, Dan Aykroyd, the dad, goes, oh, let's escape into the TV. And he turns on the TV, and every channel that they turn to is talking about, like, ransoms, kidnapping, and so then they change the channel, and what we see on the TV screen is what we've been seeing on the TV screen. It's, like, literally them sitting there playing Scrabble, and Patty Hearst, played by Gilda, I should have said that at the beginning, um, so high right now. Patty Hearst was like, oh, I used to watch the show all the time in prison. This is my favorite part. And then she says, it's where they say, and then she says, live from New York. Yeah, I, I thought it was a really meta, like, breaking the fourth wall thing. I, I, I don't know. It was, it was, I enjoyed it. Yeah. It was certainly one of the more creative uh, cold opens that we've seen. It was no really creative. Balls. Yeah. They just turned to the camera and... But I, yeah, it just, it felt really natural. It did. I liked this sort of new breaking the fourth wall, cold open idea. Yeah. And then we went into the monologue where Candace Bergen, they're having an issue that she won't come out of the dressing room and she's apparently really hung up over John Belushi. And I believe it was Jane Curtin who was trying to talk her out of the dressing room. And then they're like, come on, John, what, what the hell? You know, he's, uh, they said something about 50 pounds and excuse me, they called it cellulite. And I was like, isn't it cellulite? But also um, baby Lorne then shows up and he's like, what the hell? Like, what's going on? And she's like, it's, she won't come out. It's over John. And he's like, what power does John Belushi have over all of the women? All he does is walk all over them. And I'm like, okay, so they're acknowledging John Belushi was shitty towards women. Like, on th that is preserved. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, and I honestly kind of had the same thought. But then John Belushi shows up, and it turns into like a parody of Casablanca, right? That's what I was assuming. I've never seen that film, but this seemed to follow all the footsteps of what I think is the end of that. Yeah, I I uh, saw it in a high school film class that I took with my favorite English teacher. And yeah, that says a lot about my school is that they offered a competent film class, but I, I don't know fuck all about science. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, it was just, I, I don't know, this sketch, it felt like I understood... I, they were very experimental, this show, and I actually really liked it, but I don't understand what, like, if they were going to do a Casablanca parody, 
like just do it? Why did it have to be like fawning over John Belushi? Like they're all like, oh my god, like they can't exist without him. I, I don't fucking know. I, I didn't like it. Yeah, this monologue was all over the place, especially for a monologue. I was like, what is going on? Yeah, it, it was it was very very strange. Um, yeah, no, my no, my final note on that was what the fuck, why? So. Yeah, and then we go from that into uh, it's. Jimmy Carter, Dan Aykroyd, sitting and saying that he's now realized it will be impossible to follow through with all of his campaign promises. Um, This was really funny. I like this bit. He was like, you know, I'm beginning to appreciate just how good of a president Ford is. And he was talking about, well, you know, by the end of 1980, then you'll be able to see some real change from me. And it was, I like this. This was um, a nice little commentary on America and the presidency and all that good jazz that hasn't really changed. <laughs> yeah, the line, uh, as Bob Dylan says, it blows my mind. And I'm like, Wait, what the fuck? I'm pretty sure that was like a blowing in the wind thing. But yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I laughed at that. Um, yeah, the next sketch, we had Lorraine Newman and Dan Aykroyd in line to see Santa at the mall. And Santa was portrayed by John Belushi. Um... I have those pants that Lorraine Newman was wearing. <laughs> um, yeah, but it was basically an ad. He was like, oh, she's like laying toilet paper down on Santa's lap before she sits. And she's like, oh, no, you have to be sanitary. And he's like, Dan Aykroyd's like, no, no, don't you know about Santy rap? And it's basically like a toilet cover, but holiday themed. And then it just went into a bunch of STD jokes. Yeah, he was like, oh, he knows where you've been sleeping, but do you know where he's been sleeping? And, um, you know, John Belushi as Santa, every time they showed him close up, he was like, ho, 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 and drinking a ton of whatever from his bottle. Uh, I, I liked this. I liked the Dan Aykroyd ads. They kind of make me laugh. Um, and I liked the the visual of the, the Santee wrap, which was just like toilet paper or toilet cover you know the thing you got like the mall or whatever i can't describe this but it was it was stripes yeah no, it, it it's the paper that you pull out of the holder in the back of the wall right. if you want to sit down you put it yeah it's that but yeah it was like wrapping paper uh, we go into frank zappa's first musical performance which was i am the slime and this featured don pardo as the slime um this all of frank zappa's performances were rather interesting i'll say yeah, are you have were you familiar with Frank Zappa before this? I'm gonna guess no, but I'm just going out on a limb here and asking. Well, I had heard of him, but I had never you know searched out anything. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, I think I read his autobiography when I was in middle school. That was after my mother stopped pre-reading what I read because I just read too fast, <laughs> and she's like, "Well, I just have to trust that. Uh, I just have to trust it's appropriate." Which that's all I was gonna say is that he's an he was an odd duck. Um, he was. Yeah. I liked his outfit. I liked that in every single performance, the drummer was not wearing a shirt. A lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. It, it really was. These performances were, they were wacky, but they were fun. It was certainly, certainly, it was leagues above or ahead of whatever the fuck Brian Wilson was doing last week. Um, I like that he like, included okay, the cast in all this, too. It was good. Da, yeah, so Don Pardo voiced the slime, and the during the end of the performance, like slime was being pumped out of something and like down plexiglass covers over monitors. It was it was weird. 
Yeah, but it was like, all right, like I'm here for this. This is interesting. Yeah, it wasn't bright green Nickelodeon slime. It was some, I don't know, weird tan. It's like taupe. Yeah. <laughs> Yucky looking slime. Well, yeah. And then we went to the next sketch, which was a consumer probe with Candace Bergen hosting and interviewing the president of a toy company, and that's Dan Aykroyd, and all of the toys at his company sound just very dangerous and horrible. My favorite one was the Secret Police Confession Kit. <laughs> yeah, I wrote all of them down because I was fucking cackling during this. Um, it was pretty funny. You know, there was a... There was a bow and arrow set where if you took the suction cup off, it turns into, I think Candace Bergen said, an aerial missile or something, or an aerial, some, I don't fucking know. Uh, there was the Pretty Peggy ear piercing set, Mr. Skin Crafter, the General Tron Secret Police Confession Kit, which you mentioned. Uh, that, was, that was when I rewound it and wrote all of them down. I was like, okay, these are fucking great. Um, and there was also Doggy Dentist. Yeah. Uh, and those were the ones she listed. And then she pulls out a doll named Johnny Switchblade. And it has knives that pop out of his thighs. And Dan Aykroyd's like, so Barbie takes a knife once in a while. And just like the casual way he tossed it off, I was like, oh my fucking God. Yeah, she had a few of his toys there that she pulled out and had him explain. And the way that he explained them was just so, he, he was just so nonchalant about it. She did the bag of glass and... He was like, oh, well, that's just a bag of glass, you know? Yeah. Um, and then she brought out a bunch of normal toys that Dan Aykroyd then tried to uh, find ways to use that hurt himself. Like, she handed him a toy phone, and he, like, flung himself backwards over the chair and choked himself with it. Um, he stuffed a ball in his mouth. Uh, yeah. It was... It, it was definitely a Dan Aykroyd sketch, for sure. For sure. He had a lot going for him this episode. I would say he was the player of the episode, in my opinion. He, yeah, he really... I, I would agree with that. I was happy to see... Uh, I, I was happy to see him take more of a wacky central world. Gilda was in the episode a fair amount, at least in more of a... More than last week. For sure. That was, yeah. That bar was kind of low, though. Um, yeah. Um... And then we go into another rerun of K-Put, the make-your-own-label machine for the grocery store, if you want to just, like, remake the prices. Yeah, I'm not sure why we had to see this again, but we did. Um, yep. And then we had a sketch that uh, is kind of more well-known because Candace Bergen slipped up in it, and then both her and Gilda break. It was... It was funny to watch them break. Yeah, and part of what I've actually really come to enjoy about Candace Bergen hosting is that she gets along with the cast, and you can tell that they're all having, like, a genuinely good time. Yeah. And, like, there's a rapport there. It's not like, you know, okay, yes, Buck Henry comes in. He's hosted multiple times as well. But I don't know. Candace Bergen is just so fucking good at this that I, yeah, I... I really liked this episode. But yeah, uh, Candace Bergen, it was the whole theme of this sketch. It was a paid message from the Right to Extreme Stupidity League. And it was basically about how Gilda was a ditz. And 
I, I guess her name was Lisa. And again, Gilda was ad-libbing in this like crazy, and they were both just giggling and laughing. I, yeah. It, it was just, I, I, I thought it really showcased um, Gilda's improv skills in terms of just thinking on her feet and just like the audience is so fucking into it. They were, yeah, because what happened was Gilda, her character was named Lisa and Candace's was Fern. And Gilda kept saying Fern's name. So then when Candace went to say her line, she fumbled and said Fern instead of Lisa. And Gilda's like, oh, well, we all can't be brainy like Fern here. And in the background, you see Candace Bergen just cracking the fuck up, like covering her face. And they're both laughing for like the rest of it. It was cute. Yeah. Honestly, watching them break, it was much cuter than, like, watching Jimmy Fallon, like, you know, try to make people break because it was, this one was authentic. Yeah. Um, yeah, sorry. I don't know why I just threw a Jimmy Fallon slam in there. That has absolutely no place in this episode other than, for some reason, Jimmy Fallon was in a dream I had last night. And I am, like, it wasn't, like, anything. He was just there. It was weird. I don't like him. That's weird. I there. Yeah. <laughs> I've been having weird dreams, too. I think it's some Mercury in retrograde shit, you know? I know Mercury went into retrograde at the end of May because there were all of these articles that kept popping up on my fucking Facebook feed because friends were sharing them. And I was like, what the fuck? And so I clicked on a few of them because, you know, I'm curious. And then I saw one that was like, okay, this Monday is going to be like one of the worst days for breakups in years. And then Steve broke up with me on that Monday. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. So, yeah. That's why we had some late episodes a few weeks ago, guys. I was in the middle of a crisis. Um, sorry. Mm. <laughs> you know, I know somebody else who was in the middle of a crisis like that, too, at the same time. Okay. Well, you see, the, there we go. That's proof enough for me. Mm. Um, no, I, I, I can laugh about it now. I was not in the yeah. laugh about it stage then. It takes um, time. Time heals all wounds, yeah. as they say. <laughs> okay, it's not going on there. That'll be a text. Um <laughs> Weekend update, uh, it was Jane Curtin and her husband, Patrick, arguing. I, do we know if this was, like, her actual husband? I have or if this was no a staffer? clue who this was. Because, like, he was mentioned at some point later in the episode. Oh, Candace Bergen mentioned him by name. And Jane Curtin was the only one married at this point. I remember her talking about this extensively in Live from New York. Um, and... It was like her and her husband arguing, and he wanted her home. And she's like, do you think I want to be here? I'm blah, blah. And it's like, they're, it, it was really uncomfortable and awkward. And it was like, why are you trying to make it seem like this is, like, oh, she should be home instead of this fucking awesome job that she has? Yeah. And he's like, oh, I have a book I'm going to publish, and it's going to make us a lot of money. I'm like, oh, my God. Right. And she, it's, it's like, oh, that's why she should quit, because he's going to support them. And it's like, fuck you. I don't like this. Um, but yeah, then she pushes him under the desk, which was a recurring bit throughout the show and I, or throughout Weekend Update that I actually did find funny. Yeah. She was like crumpling the papers that she was reading from up and giving them to him. I liked that. Yeah. And then he was also, I believe, um, there was an oral sex joke in there cause she like giggled and batted at her skirt a bit. That's what I thought it was too. I was like, yeah, I was like, oh God damn. Okay. That was funny. Why did we have to have, like, what, why couldn't they have been having a happy, like, sexy conversation on the desk and then she shoved him under there? Why do we have to make her, why do we have to make it seem like, you know, oh, how dare she? Yeah. Um, anyway. There wasn't much in the beginning of Weekend Update that I noted. We went into uh, 
the December radioactive fallout report led by Dan Aykroyd, this was just him going through all the radioactivity that you could find in the United States at that time. And he was like, oh, nothing too serious. And he's moving the dial on the air quality chart to the worst one, which is refrain from breathing. Um, it was like, no, it was really laughing, but he was doing it pretty well. He was delivering it, this whole thing really well. I liked it. He was delivering it well, but something that crossed my mind is that this is like, it's 13, 14 years after like the Cuba Missile Crisis. Oh, shit. And, and I'm like, okay, I, I, you know, fine, a decade and a half. That's a bit further than I thought when I wrote it down, because, you know, I was kind of high. Um, but it was like, I, I, I literally think that was too soon. Like, I mean, people, I, yeah, I they weren't really laughing. I felt like they were taking it kind of, like, seriously. Not seriously, but... Yeah, like, uh. but no, it, it was just like, I don't think we can laugh about this, because most of the people in the audience probably remember doing the under-your-desk drills for, you know, because that would save you from a nuclear <laughs> blast. Right. Um, but Dan Aykroyd was, yeah. he seemed like he was pretty proud of this this bit, like, at the end, like... Oh, oh, yeah. He could no, laugh at he, it. And he should... He should be. I, it seemed to make him, he seemed to like it, but it just didn't really play with the audience. Happens. Um, yeah, there was a bit where it was a Polaroid commercial with, like, Candace Bergen and her quote-unquote son. It was John Belushi. But it wasn't an actual Polaroid commercial. It was a camera that printed cheese. So she's, like, pointing the camera at John Belushi. And she's like, what do you say? And he's like, cheese. And then it prints cheese, and she, like, throws the slice of weird orange American cheese at him. And it was like, okay, so they're mocking the Polaroid commercials that they did last season, correct? Yeah, I liked that. And I, the fact that it was just cheese coming out of a camera, that was clever. Yeah, I, I thought that was uh, I thought that was amusing. Um, and then we had, a per, we had an appearance by Emily Latella, who this time she confused UNICEF with unisex. And... Uh, Jane Curtin was very irritated with her, and she's like, oh, you don't seem happy ever since uh, Cheddar Chase or Cheddar Cheese left or whatever the fuck she called him. Um, I haven't really been on. And she's like, well, you know, she's, like, talking about the quality of her stories. and um, She says you need to come up with something funnier than unisex is what she said. Okay, yeah. And she's like, I'll do my best. And Jane Curtin's like, thank you. And she goes, bitch. It was really funny. I remember reading about that in Live from New York, but seeing it was absolutely, that was, seeing it was something else. Yeah, me too. It was a real good sort of turn for her character. Even though it's just promoting woman-on-woman violence, lol. Right, right. I mean, it's, I, I, I'm not like thrilled with it, but I thought it was funny. It um, was funny. <laughs> yeah. I, well, because it's, you know, she started out as this sweet little old lady who just got shit confused, and then it was like, okay, so she's crushing on Chevy Chase, but now it's like she's like a vindictive little old lady. I, I really like the trajectory here. Yeah, me too. Um, and that was really it for Weekend Update, right? Then we had Frank, Frank Zappa's mm-hmm. next performance. It was The Purple Lagoon, and this one had John Belushi as Samurai Futaba coming in to add to the performance with a little call-and-response situation. Yeah, um, this one was okay. It was... It wasn't my favorite of the Zappa performances. Um, 
And I don't understand totally why we needed to have Samurai Futaba in there, but yeah, I, it was funny. It, it was just odd. I don't know if it's like, okay, Frank Zappa was a fan and just wanted to... I, I don't fucking know. I have no idea. Could I have looked into it? Yes. Was I high and tired? Also, yes. Um, yeah, fair. I, I, I watched like 75% of this starting at one in the morning last night, so <laughs> yeah. I actually took really good notes, though, which it took me longer to watch this episode, but I took really good notes. That's good. I'm learning. You know, I want to talk last night. I was eating pasta. I had three fucking bowls. Oh, my God. I'm so jealous. I haven't had pasta in so long. Oh, damn. I miss, I miss carbs. I bet. I get paid tomorrow, so I get to go to Costco and buy more pasta, though. So. Nice. Um... Yeah, and then we went into a fucking weird sketch. It was another, like, I almost said Dan Belushi. Nope. <laughs> Dan Aykroyd, John Belushi, like, buddy cop sketch. Right. Um, which, I mean, I, I honestly don't mind in certain aspects. And this, I thought, you know, it's like, fuck it. They're just throwing weird shit at the wall. And this is a really, I, yeah, I don't know. I just appreciated the creativity. But it starts with Garrett Morris singing O Tannenbaum, the Christmas song, and it's like, okay, cool. We're just going to have a Garrett Morris singing Christmas carols. And then it's like, oh, fuck, are the trees moving? <laughs> and then Garrett Morris starts fiddling with the bottom of his suit, and he gets stabbed by a tree. And it was really just a tree ah, a tree branch on a hinge that, you know, he uncovered. But it was funny. He, yeah. Yeah, so this was the Killer Trees sketch. Um, yeah. Yeah, and then the cops who were on the case were John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd and... Then they cut to another um, another scene where it was Gilda Radner playing a Hispanic cleaner who, like, stole a box of tissues from a place she was cleaning, and she calls up her mom. It's like, oh, I have a Christmas gift for little Jose. I did not. I was not a fan of this little part. Um, uh-uh. Yeah, and then she starts singing to the tune of O Tannenbaum, I'm so poor. Like, she's just like... I can't sing it because I just forgot the tune, but she just says, I'm so poor. And it was like, oh, I'm so poor. Right. Oh, I'm so poor. Yeah, it was bad. It, th- this, I don't understand why there needed to be, like, why couldn't she just be a cleaning lady? Why did she have to be a stereotypically looking back really fucking racist depiction of a cleaning lady? Like, what the fuck? And she's like singing, what's it, La Cucaracha or something? Yeah. In between. And also, okay, I will say I did enjoy, like, the reggae Calypso-style O'Tenenbaum that played in between the cutscenes Because cool. I found, like, that was a bop. But the rest of it, I no, like, the whole, yeah, I just did not. They made a choice to make the cleaning lady Hispanic and racist. Yeah. Racist de- depiction, yeah. Was just on. not Sorry. a fan. Um, so no. they did a lineup, a police lineup of the... It was two trees and Frank Zappa, and one of the trees killed him. And the police asked Candace, who was like, I guess, um, I guess it was her cleaning lady, so her tree. Um, and she has the same a tree from the same place in her house. And the police ask her to go and act as a decoy and sing a bomb, and she does, and the tree kills her. And then the police come out and are like, "Oh well, we said we would be right outside. We didn't say we would do anything." which was honestly way too real. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, they, yeah, it ends with them like, oh, she, she looks like it. She looked like an angel, and now she is. It was very like Christmas schmaltzy. I don't fucking know. Like, this sketch had a lot of good parts, but it needed a bit of um, editing slash. I don't know. I thought the lineup part was great. Anyway, uh, yeah, uh, we went into a Gary Weiss film, which was all about Diana Nyad. Do you know who she is? Or had you, well, I mean, I know they explained it. <laughs> no, I really um, didn't have any basis of knowledge for Diana Nyad, but I loved this film. She sounded like a really cool woman. Yeah, no, she was a swimmer, is a swimmer. She um, swam around Manhattan, and then I believe she swam from Key West to Florida, and then she, Key West, I don't know, the, no, the Bahamas, I don't fucking know, she swam that, and then I think maybe, God, it's probably 10 years ago now, I think she claims to be the first person to have swam without a cage from Cuba to Florida, but <laughs> that hasn't been, like, verified, but yeah, no, she's, she's wild. Yeah. Um, it was just basically a mini documentary about her and her students, because I guess she was a swim instructor at that point, um, and they're all just talking about, like, her dedication and drive, and... I, it wasn't really, it wasn't a comedy, it wasn't a comedy short, but that was fine, because it was really well done. I thought it, it portrayed her in a really good light, and that's not something you'd super see. I don't know. Yeah, no, it was just, it made her look really kick-ass, and there was some nice, I believe, classical music in the background. Yeah. Um... Yeah, so the next one, it starts off and it's Candace Bergen talking about where all of the cast will be for the holidays and Jean Curtin will be with her husband and she says, I guess Garrett is going back to Africa, which was not fucking funny and then this turns into, um, it's like a campaign uh, called Adopt John Belushi for Christmas and she has John Belushi sitting there and she's like, oh, you know, he'll fit in with any family with a depressed European background and they go to him and he starts talking about wanting to like sleep with the daughter and she can be 14, 15 or 16. He doesn't care. It was a bit icky. Yeah. Um, and, well, and you said the, the Garrett Morris back to Africa thing, that was not funny. The audience thought it was, Yeah, I was like, what the fuck? Um, yeah, no, uh, he wanted to sit by the Yule log and play with your daughter um, he also wanted a roast goose stuffed with drugs. So at this point, like, they're portraying him as the bad boy, as the runs through women, treats him like shit, does drugs, you know what I mean? Like, takes drugs, like, yeah, yeah this is, I, I don't know, this is a lot of drug mentions, and, like, mentions of his problems throughout the show slash the past couple, because there was a mention in the Buck Henry show, too. Yeah, they are just going all into it now. Um, and it it kind of, you could tell that he's, like, not sober during these shows. Oh, yeah. you Yeah, he's not sober, and he's leaning into that persona. Yeah. So it's like, I and I know they can say, oh, we didn't know that the drugs did that to you. Like, back there, we're like, oh, my God, we were shocked when he overdosed. I don't know. So at the end of the sketch, his hi, Mom and Dad was really cute. Yeah, that was cute. The next sketch um, I didn't have much of a basis of knowledge for, despite this being kind of, uh, I don't know, a big 
moment, they were talking about Gary Gilmore and how he wanted to be executed. Yeah, so um, I thought this was, at first I was like, okay, wow, they're going here. Um, Yeah, I guess the death penalty had been outlawed or something, and he still wanted, he was like, well, I was convicted and sentenced to death before that, so I want to die. And it was, this sketch consisted of the entire cast of Saturday Night Live singing Christmas carols, but with the words changed to um, let's kill Gary Gilmore for Christmas. And honestly, I thought this was fucking hilarious. I, I, I don't know why. I mean, yes, I like true crime and I'm somewhat familiar with the story, but like, I don't know. It was just, it was the first time that they felt like a cohesive cast and it was just really fucking witty lines. Like Gilda was saying, um, she wants, she only has one wish for Christmas and the rest of the cast, like, just ask it. And she's like, please put Gary in a casket. It was, I don't know. I thought this was really well written and I was laughing the entire fucking time. Yeah. I liked seeing them in their cute little Christmas sweaters. And I agree. There were some pretty good lines in this one. Um, I, I did enjoy this bit. And we want Dan Aykroyd's deadpan was great. Yes. Yeah. I particularly liked him in this. I liked him in literally everything tonight. Yeah. The snow looked fucking miserable, though. It was like, I, I feel like they should have turned it off or something because they were like all covered and caked in this like powdery, papery, and they like kept tipping their heads. Gilda's eyelashes were just like being weighed down. It was so much. It was distracting, honestly. It was. Um, but yeah, so we went from that into Frank Zappa's last performance, which was Peaches and Regalia. <laughs> Honestly, I really liked this. This is my favorite uh, Frank Zappa performance of the night. There was a cool-ass electric violin. Yeah, it was clear. I loved that. Yeah. Um, It was a really fucking cool way to end the show. I don't know. It was... Well, not end it, but, you know. Right. Sort of wrap it up before the good nights, which was everybody um, ice skating in Rockefeller Center wearing, like, Victorian, like typical Christmas caroler clothing. It was really just nice to look at, and they made Candace Bergen kind of ad-lib. Yeah, she was like, this is not nice. Um, She's trying to uh, call cast members over to help her kill time. Um, I don't know if they were dressed like that because of a sketch that got cut. I can't imagine that, but maybe they, like, didn't have enough time for the sketch, but they had enough time for long good nights because they were killing time. But, yeah, it was, they were all, like, dressed to the nines. John Belushi, like, fell slash jumped over the edge at one point and then, like, threw himself back onto the ice. Um, he was wearing a top hat. Which, yeah. Um, no, I, this was a really cute uh, end to the first part of season two. Um, and they were all skating around and laughing with each other and, like, holding hands. Um, they... Uh, the good, the scroll was cute because like they were flashing Merry Christmas at a certain point and then it ended with Merry Christmas, but Don Pardo was singing, um, Jingle Bells and then he switched to I'm the slime. I was the slime. Yeah, it was, or yeah, it was fucking funny. Yeah. <sighs> what didn't work for you this episode? I'm going to go on ahead and say the adopt John Belushi for Christmas campaign was not my fucking favorite of the night. Yeah, that was, um, it was a little awkward. It felt like they were uh, building his 
bad boy reputation or trying to like paint him in that light for the future. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. How about you? Um, mall Santa lap cover. Fair. I, I did not like that. I didn't, I, again, I think it kind of relates to the fact that it was like, they were like fat shaming, slut shaming John Belushi, like, but also STD shame. I don't know. It was just like, John Belushi was once again the butt of the joke. And I was just, I don't know. Yeah. It just felt icky. Yeah. Um, okay, I need to go back to my notes. <laughs> Figure out what my runner-up is. Okay. Yeah, so my runner-up would be the Gary Weiss film. Okay. Wow. I, I, I completely get that. That was, I was unexpected. When they said who it was about, I was like, okay, I think I know. It was like, the name sounded familiar, and all I knew was that she was a swimmer. I thought she was a swimmer that crossed the English Channel, but that was not her. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, that, that was good. Um, my runner-up was Killer Trees. It would have been the best without all the weird racial shit in the middle. Yeah, the weird racial shit really ruined it for me. Otherwise, I would have thought it was pretty funny. Yeah, it just, like, completely, like, shifted the focus of the sketch. Yeah, I'll, I did not like that. No. What was your best? The consumer probe with Candace Bergen and Dan Aykroyd showing off all his old toys. <laughs> that was pretty good. He really committed to that. Yeah. How about you? Um, <laughs> this is so uncharacteristic of me, but uh, let's kill Gary Gilmore for Christmas. I see it. I was... I, I thought it was fucking hilarious. Like, who the fuck pitches that? Okay, we're all gonna sing Christmas carol. Well, it's probably Michael O'Donoghue, let's be fucking real. Um, I, I know, but, like, this worked. I don't know. It, it just... It was... Because he was, like... he was. It's not like they were... It's not like they were stepping out of line. Like, the man had made it very clear he wanted to die. <laughs> like, yeah. it was, I guess... I mean, they were making jokes about, like... I don't know if I meant to look this up and then it just didn't happen. They were like, oh, the three networks wanted to buy the rights to it. And I was like, that can't be a thing, can it? Um, well, there were things. Yeah. Um, I think what they said was the three networks all wanted to be there for the execution. And then they're talking about books and films trying to get made out of him. And that actually did happen. I looked at his Wikipedia page. Okay. Um, yeah, they wanted to, it was like, they had something where you could write in that you wanted to kill him, 125, <laughs> someone's having a bad day, 1976, money today, money today, yeah, $587 <laughs> to apparently kill that guy, Jesus Christ, fucking America, man, I completely agree with you that Dan Aykroyd was the player of the night. Um, yeah, Dan Aykroyd, my man. Hope he keeps it up for the rest of the season. But that is, uh, yeah, it was a really solid episode, and that is it for us. You can find us on all major podcast platforms wherever you're listening to this right now. Yeah, there. <laughs> yeah, you can find it there, I hope. Don't forget to like, subscribe, rate, and review. Uh, yeah. Yeah, we're on social media. Set Night High Pod is our username. Find us on Reddit, YouTube and facebook as well as 
I think that's it. We just that's all we have. And so, oh, Twitter, um, on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I was just waiting. I was just waiting for you to. I was like, okay, yeah, <laughs> you're right. We have those three. Um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, Twitter. Our username is Sat Night uh, Sat Night High Pod Night spelled N I T E. Yes, and we have a website, satinighighpod.com, and you can also reach us. Our Gmail is, well, satinighighpod. Uh, until next week, which is Ralph Nader, I think. Uh, yeah, we will see you then. Yeah, happy highs. I'm Steph. Oh, I'm Gilda. Happy highs. <laughs>